Welcome back and thank you for joining us in session four. So we are getting close to the end of the book of Jonah in uh, Jonah chapter four. We're actually going to spend the next two sessions, this session and the next session in chapter four of Jonah. And we're doing two sessions because we are stuck with a godly prophet um, who is acting in a very ungodly manner. I was thinking about Jonah and um, I, I think Jonah is like, one of those friends um, who gets in a lot of trouble and who gets you in trouble. And so you are too embarrassed to actually introduce him to your parents. So you never invite him to your house. Like that's the kind of man we're dealing with here in this book in chapter four. In fact, as I was reading um, through this book, I was thinking to myself, if I was the one who wrote the book of Jonah, I actually would have ended the book in chapter three, verse 10, where it says, when God saw what the Ninevites did and they turned from their evil, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that God had threatened. Like, I'm like, that's a good, happy ending. That would have been a good, happy ending to this book. But unfortunately, we have Jonah. And Jonah is not very happy. In fact, he's not happy at all about the revival that has just happened in the book of Nineveh, which is why chapter four opens up with these shocking and disappointing words. Here's how chapter four starts. Verse one, it says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. Another version of the, of the Bible translates that same verse. It says, but Jonah became greatly displeased and he was very angry. So think about that. Jonah's response to the greatest revival history has ever seen was resentment and deep anger. You know, you, you just want to go, bro, like what, what's wrong with you? Like, aren't you a prophet of God? So um, as I have done with other messages in these sessions, um, uh, let me state for you up front what the big idea, the summary of this, uh, the first part of chapter four is going to be as we uh, jump into today's session. Here it is. Compassion is meant for the people in your life, not the things in your life. Compassion is meant for the people in our lives, not the things in your life. And we're going to see this illustrated in two ways in this chapter. We're going to see it in Jonah's attitude towards the Ninevites and Jonah's attitude towards the disposable things in his life, the things that you can throw away that don't really matter. So let's start with the first, um, the first attitude uh, Jonah has towards the Ninevites. The first three verses of chapter four, when you get into it, reveal to us why it is that Jonah ran away in the first place in chapter one. Here's what Jonah says. It says, but to Jonah, the revival that happened in Nineveh seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and he says, isn't this what I said to you, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I try to forestall, what I try to, what I try to um, hinder, what I try to get in the way of happening when I fled to Tarshish. I knew, God, that you are a gracious and compassionate God. I knew that you're slow to anger and abounding in love. I know you're a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, just, just take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Wow. Right. Like that. That's the only reaction. Like, wow, really? 
So here, jo Jonah reveals to us what was really going on, right? Like it wasn't that Jonah was afraid of the Ninevites because of how wicked they were. It, it wasn't that um, he was afraid of what they might do to him, but rather the reason why Jonah ran away in the first place before the fish caught him back, the reason why he ran away was because Jonah knew. Jonah knew that God might be merciful and might forgive the Ninevites if they repented, which they did. Because Jonah wanted God, Jonah wanted God to respond to the Ninevites in the same way that the Ninevites had brutally treated other nations when they conquered them. I mean, if, if you could somehow read Jonah's prayer journal, let's say he had one. I'm sure every page of his prayer journal would be filled with prayer requests about the Ninevites dying, like God slaughter them. You know, um, I know that it is popular in some churches to pray um, for some pastors and some churches to pray that God would destroy our enemies. I know it's popular for some people to pray that God slice my enemy in half, you know, die, 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 which just sounds insane to me that people would pray that. And listen, yes, I I'll agree that there are some places in the Bible, like in the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm 7, Psalm 35, where David basically asked that God would wipe out his enemies. In fact, at one point in chapter 7, uh, Psalm 7, Jonah says God would break the teeth of his enemy. And yes, that's true. But listen, when, when Jesus comes into the world, when, when Jesus steps into the scene, onto the scene, he creates what's known as a new covenant. In other words, he creates a new way for you and I as Christ followers to approach God. And, and Jesus completely changes how we're supposed to pray for our enemies. In fact, how does, how does Jesus tell us to pray for our enemies? Like what does, what does, what does Jesus instruct us to do to those who hate us? Well, rather than tell you, let me just read to you Jesus's own words in Luke chapter six, verse 27 to 36. Jesus says this. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And then in Romans chapter 12, verse 14, it goes on to say, bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse. So which is it? How should we treat the people in our lives that we have a real problem with? Perhaps we can't stand them. They hate us. Maybe we hate them back. Do, do, we, do we pray for them and bless them like Jesus tells us to? Or, or do we curse them and ask for their destruction um, like some of the Psalms suggest? Which is it? Well, first of all, let me say this. Um, <laughs> if your enemy curses you, and you curse your enemy back in prayer, basically you both lose because all that has just happened is two people have just cursed each other out. Okay, you've just put a curse on each other. So nobody's winning in that scenario, right? A better way to understand this is to understand what the Bible says about who the real enemy is. When you use that word enemy, understand who the real enemy is. Ephesians chapter six, verse 12, the New Living Translation says, that you and I are not fighting in this world against flesh and blood enemies. In other words, we're not fighting against just people. It says, but we are fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. 
In other words, the real enemy is not the person of those people who hate you or who you hate back. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the New Living Translation explains that Satan, who is, who is described here in this passage as the God of this age, he's not God, he's like the, the, the ruler of this age. It says, Satan, the God of this age, has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Wow. Because here, here's what both of those passages taking together mean. What it means is that um, the enemy who you think is the enemy is not really the enemy. It's not the person, it's the spirit behind it. So, so here's what that means for when you and I are praying for our enemies. It means that when you pray, you pray that God would disrupt and God would destroy the demonic powers, the satanic powers behind the human enemies. It means that when you pray, you pray that God would confuse, that God would frustrate the plans of the spiritual enemy and unravel any scheme the enemy has against you. It means that when you pray, you pray that God would demolish any demonic strongholds that the enemy has established against you and would bring them falling down like the walls of Jericho. That's how you pray um, um, what I call imprecatory prayers. That's a big word that means attack prayers. It's against the spiritual enemy. But for the people themselves, we pray as Jesus tells us to. We don't curse, we bless. You pray for the people in your life, even if they don't like you or you don't like them, you pray that God would remove, would remove almost like God would remove the blinders, the things that are blinding them. Remember, the Bible says that the God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers. So when we pray for people in our lives, we say God would remove the blinders from their eyes so that they can see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray for the people in our lives that they would experience in their, even our enemies, we pray that they would experience in their life the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray for the people in our lives that God would change the lives of our enemies so drastically that even our enemies would become great evangelists for Jesus Christ. And that's how you bless and not curse. Because compassion is meant for the people in our lives, not just the things in our lives. You see, Jonah, this prophet, confused both of them. Jonah didn't care if there was a spiritual enemy behind the Ninevites. Jonah didn't care if Satan himself was the one making them do what they were doing. As far as Jonah was concerned, Jonah wants God to wipe them off the face of the map. That's, that's not the behavior of a godly prophet. In fact, this is exactly what Jonah is hoping will happen in verse 5. Here's what Jonah does. It says when, when, when Jonah had finished being upset, it says Jonah went out and he sat down at a place east of the city of Nineveh. And when he got there, he made himself a shelter and he sat under its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. <laughs> you know what Jonah is doing here? Um, Jonah is building a small theater, a, a seating area, a small stadium, a small mini stadium for himself that is a safe distance away from the city. Why? If you remember in chapter three, when Jonah was going through the city of Nineveh, what was he preaching? Let me tell you exactly what Jonah preached in chapter three. He says to them, 40, 40 days from now, 
Nineveh will be destroyed, right? I'm pretty sure he probably said some more things, but basically he's saying 40 days from now, if you don't repent, God will destroy the city. And even though the Ninevites repented right away, the indication from the book of Jonah is that the Ninevites repented before the end of day 40. So there's probably still some more days. And so Jonah is hoping that, okay, God said 40 days and they've already repented, maybe like on day two. And so Jonah's like, all right, let me wait. Let me wait and see if they will really change before we get to day 40. That's why he builds a position on the east of the city. Let's wait and see what will happen. He wants to have a good position where he can see their judgment. And you know what Jonah is expecting when he's the reason why he's he moves away from the city. Um, he's expecting God to rain down on Nineveh fire and burning sulfur, burning brimstone like God did in the Old Testament on the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's in the book of Genesis when God literally, the city was evil. God literally rained down fire on them. Jonah pulls away from the city so he can see God do the same thing. Can you imagine that? Jonah has become so angry, so closed off, so prejudiced that God actually has to pull him aside in verse four. And God says to Jonah, is it right for you to be this angry? You see, I believe God asked Jonah this question because God wanted Jonah to see a couple of things. Number one, God wanted Jonah to know that this is not how godly people act. Definitely, this is not how a godly prophet acts. And then two, God wanted Jonah to understand that, listen, the natural response, the natural response of somebody who has received grace from God is to extend grace to other people. If you extend grace from God, you're designed to extend it to other people. Why? Because the Bible says, it says, but God demonstrates his love for us through this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you get that? Like when Jesus saved us and when he saves us from our sin, when he saved you from your sin, Jesus didn't look at your life and go, you know what? Um, you're a pretty good person. Like you're a religious person. I like you. I think I'm going to save you. No, that's not what happened. The Bible says there was nothing and no thing in our lives that was admirable. There was nothing in our lives that was beneficial. There was nothing in our lives that was attractive to God that made him pick us. But rather you and I were chosen by God, by grace, through faith in Jesus. Jesus picked us to be saved despite the fact that we were sinners. So, so who are you and I to be carrying this deep anger and unforgiveness against, against another person when we were saved by grace? I mean, can you imagine if God were to take that kind of position against us? What if, what if God were to say, I'm not forgiving you ever? I don't care how much you beg for forgiveness or what you say. I don't care what you do. I have made up my mind about you and no one in all of creation can change my mind. Can you imagine if God ever took that attitude? I mean, that's a scary thought. So listen, if you're watching this right now and if for whatever reason you have been carrying with you a spirit of unforgiveness, you're just angry. You're just angry at people. 
If you've been carrying the spirit of unforgiveness or a lack of generosity towards others, that is indicative. That means that you are out of touch with God's grace and you need to get back in touch with the fact that you were saved by the grace of God alone through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. You didn't do anything to earn it. And for this reason, you and I are called by God to extend to other people the same mercy we have received from him, to extend to other people the same grace and compassion we have received from him. And so here, here's what I want to do, because I want to wrap up our session right now. But, but I want to do so because um, I want to transition us into a time of um, just confession and, and, and pouring our hearts out before God. And so, listen, if you are listening and watching this right now, and if you have never trusted in Jesus Christ, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, if you've never prayed that Jesus would be the Savior of your life and to, and to become the Lord of your life, today is your day of salvation. Today is the day that the Lord has made. God may very well have designed all the events of your life to lead to this moment where you can begin a relationship with Him. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So um, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to guide you in a time of prayer right now, right in front of your screen. And what I'm going to ask is that you pray along with me. Now, it's not the prayer that saves you. The prayer is not a magical speech. It's basically your way. It's going to be your way expressing to God what's really in your heart. I'm going to guide you with these words and I'm going to ask that you pray along with me, but make it your own. Let it be between you and God. So would you bow your head? And if you desire to start a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you want him to come into your life as Savior, pray with me. Would you say, Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner and I was born in sin. Jesus, please forgive me for all of my sins. I believe that Jesus died for my sin on the cross. And I thank you, God. I thank you, Jesus, for paying God back what I could never pay. Jesus, I believe that you are the Lord of heaven and earth, and I place my trust in you, Jesus, as the Lord of my life. Save me, O God. Write my name in your book of life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you, Jesus, for welcoming me into your family. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. 
Well, listen, hey, if you prayed that uh, for the first time, or perhaps you prayed it to God to trust in Jesus Christ, praise God, I celebrate with you. In fact, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that there are angels in heaven celebrating right now because you chose to trust in Jesus Christ. So God bless you. I wanna encourage you, please, if you pray to pray, trust Jesus, share it with one of your pastors, your teachers, or another Christian friend. Let them know that you've begun this relationship. Uh, may God bless you. We'll catch you at the next session.